I'm Kevin Hillier. Welcome to the Legal Minefield podcast, a podcast that gives you direct access to a man with decades of experience in the legal profession. That man is John Mellier. You can contact him directly via our email address, info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com. It's that simple. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Legal Minefield podcast. John, uh, Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year. And Merry Christmas to you, Kevin, and Happy New Year to you as Depending well. on when people are listening to this will, will depend on whether we're, we're past dated, predated, or, or completely outdated. Um, oh, yes. At this time <laughs> of the year, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's all, it all happens all at once, it seems. Uh, has it been a busy year for you? I mean, we've um, spent a bit of time this year talking about things, and you always seem to be pretty busy. Yeah, it has. It's been a busier year um, this year because I think coming out of COVID and the lockdowns, um, people have wanted to catch up with what they were wanting to do. Yep. And also um, COVID's created a lot of um, couples to break up and that's caused an increase in workload. And, of course, there's a backlog. I was going to say, did COVID cause a backlog? I know there was still um, uh, cases being uh, being uh, talked about and done by by you know our multimedia platforms and things. But was there a backlog caused because you couldn't actually um, get into a court? Yes, there is a backlog because there's um, an increase in the number of um, people separating. So yeah. that's created extra work and workload. So yes, unfortunately, that was one of the. Um, symptoms of COVID. One of the things we want to do in this episode uh, to finish the year off is is talk about some of the things we've talked about in each of the podcasts that uh, are available for people to have a listen to uh, and some of the, the questions that came out of those those podcasts. And then we want to talk to you about a project that uh, that you've uh, you've been working on. It, it's seen the light of day of recent times. We want to talk about that, the book that you've uh, that you've written. But let's start. We, we, we sort of started uh, by talking about uh, wills and, and, and preparing yourself for the for the worst case scenario, has yep. any in, in the areas that we've talked about in this podcast, wills, work injuries, TAC, uh, domestic violence, has there been much change in the actual law uh, um, in not, this year? Not not towards the end of the year. No, there hasn't been a great change because um, due to the backlog, there's a number of cases that still have to be heard, and um, once they're heard, probably next year they'll be heard. Um, there'll be I would assume some changes will come out of that. Um, also, Parliament will probably make some further changes to laws over the next year. Okay. And when that happens, we'll be able to um, talk about it. Are there particular areas that you expect there to be big change that will affect people who are listening um, to this podcast? I expect change to happen in the areas of um, domestic violence and intervention orders. I expect some changes to happen with that. Yeah. Um, certainly there will, there's always changes to the workers' compensation TSC side. That that evolves out of um, people's claims and cases being heard and, you know, people have been awarded large sums of money and looking at the tests and whether the tests need to be changed or the court's interpreted a different way. Yep. So that happens constantly. So um, we'll see that happen in the future as well. Yep. And, of course, with the family law, there's always – um, changes happening in that space, especially with practice materials and practice notes and how the courts are, are dealing with the different lists in dealing with matters. Have people become more aggressive in their attitudes towards the way they treat the law and the way they use the law? Um, yes, they have, and in particularly to towards lawyers as well. I find that there's um, lawyers are treated with not 
much respect like they used to a long time ago. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago was a very sort of revered top profession and now it's, um, you know, we're like a commodity. So, and because there's a large number of lawyers now than there used to be, you can shop around and, you know, go around and find a new lawyer if you're not happy. Um, and, of course, there's good old Dr. Google, which, uh, <laughs> you know, you plug in and answer. hopefully answers your legal question for you. But, um, you know, it's not the same as paying for someone's time and experience. Uh, one thing I want to ask, and we can talk about this even more when we talk about the book that you've, you've put together, is the law still a, 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 an occupation, a, a destination that is sought it's- after? It is, yeah. It's still um, an occupation and destination. I think when I um, went to law school, there were maybe uh, three or four law schools in Victoria you could go to. Hmm. Now there's probably um, six to seven. So, you know, that just shows you the demand that's out there. There's also um, a great demand for the practical legal training courses as well. There's a couple of providers now. I think there's three, and there used to only be one. So things, the demand's still there. And are we, and yes, are we is, producing it, more lawyers though, as a result of we, that? We are. We're producing a lot of lawyers, but um, I think because of the change in demand out of COVID, they're needed. Whereas previously there was a uh, like a glut of of graduate lawyers, and they found it difficult to compete and find jobs. That's changed, and, and purely because of the dem- work demands and increase of work because of co- what's happened with COVID. One of the um, one of the uh, letters that were received, emails were received uh, on one of the subjects, and it, it is a very touchy subject, and it's one that's uh, that's obviously um, open to interpretation by whoever, whichever side of the argument that you're talking about. We got a couple of emails from a particular person regarding a domestic violence situation, um, and it was that no matter who this person, who was a female, I mean, no matter who this female seemed to turn to, she felt like she was the victim in every single case, whether she was talking to in a mediation session with her former partner or whether she was with the police or whether she was talking to a, uh, a social worker or whatever. Uh, it was, uh, and, and there may be some paranoia involved in that as well, but uh, seemed to be the victim in every case. Is that is that a common sort of thought pattern I, that people have when they're in that situation? I, I think that it's unfortunately very true and I think it's a common pattern because Unfortunately, the um, system is not um, equipped or staffed enough to cater for the demand that's out there. And I think that causes or triggers people to be treated like they're getting put through a you know, sausage machine and out the other door in a hurry as opposed to um, they probably need days and time spent with people and it just can't happen up at court. You can't. Um, the court system can't have people sit there all day and um, have their have them um, consulted and dealt with unless they're privately funded with their own lawyer yeah. and they try and do that. Um, if the system needs um, certainly a lot of support and it needs extra income to cater for the demand, and um, that's where unfortunately people like the person who wrote the uh, the email. Is probably feeling that, yeah, because yep. they're getting pushed from pillar to post, from one person to the other. When really there's, there's, there should be enough resources for one person to sit down and say, "Come in, tell me your story. Let's see if we can help you and yep. work it out." 
And that doesn't happen because there's just not enough time for the system to deal with yeah. individuals on an individual base by case by case basis. And that that was the, the 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 theme that came through in that email was the frustration and the desperation almost of wanting to be heard and and wanting to be heard by someone fully rather than okay or I've heard that thank you and move on to the next one want to be correct and that's that's the problem I find with the system and then again as we explained in the podcast unfortunately there are those who use the system by making up things and that takes away the time and resources that should be spent on the genuine people who need the help yep. or desperate for the help and you can and you can understand lawyers and police and counselors and people thinking that someone is trying to gild the lily at, at certain times and 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 calling that out as they should correct and unfortunately it doesn't happen till it gets to the close to the end of the matter before that happens yeah and then there's unfortunately um, a lot of people who are unfortunately really suffering and are real victims of domestic violence and and then it takes a while for the police to catch up with them and to press charges and for them to go through the process so it's very hard and and it's not just it's both sides it's not it's male fe- and female and yeah. all genders it's 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 not just one sided every side has issues with feeling protected and um it's just the resourcing internally in the legal system and in the in i guess in the um, the counselling system are, are those things being talked about and being addressed and, and oh they have they have for many years yeah, and okay. um, you know the the law institute has made you know certain representations to the government to do something and I think the government's promised to you know overhaul the system and do something so you know there, there's things that are there but um, they just haven't happened yet. I know we talked at the time and you said that there probably should be various different courts um, uh, correct, handling correct, it. Correct. Correct. There should be a separate specialised court that deals with it. And that way, um, you know, for instance, in the first instance, they can refer people off to, um, you know, counselling and, um, you know, counsellors that are part of the specialised court system that try and deal with that or qualified mediators that deal with it rather than have it lumped on a magistrate who's already under pressure with a workload that consists of, you know, not just intervention orders, they'll be hearing all sorts of matters all day. They'll have maybe more than 50 cases in their list. And it's hard for each magistrate to um, deal with all that. And it's actually not fair to do that to the magistrates. From the point of view of of someone representing either of the two parties, is is mediation something that is desirable, uh, workable, um, (laughs) practical? it It could be something practical in some cases. In the extremely violent cases, no, it's yeah. not going to work. But when when it's um, situations that are not violent, um, it could be workable. Or where both sides have just decided, look, they want to go their separate ways and now they both understand and they want to work out how to do it the right way. So, so it could be doable. Um, the court does offer a type of um, mediation, uh, a, a um, conference to try and see if they can select certain matters that are suitable for it. Um, but unfortunately, given the um, nature of a lot of matters, which involves violence and, and other serious issues, um, it's not it's not always the case that that can happen. Is it something that's usually uh, solved within a year? Is, it, is, that, is that a time, workable time frame or is it less than that it, or more than that, it, John? 
No, it could be more than that to get it to a final hearing oh, okay. uh, within 12 months um, or longer now because of the backlogs um, because there's a number of procedures to go through before you get to a final hearing. So, for example, there'll be another a number of um, what they call mentioned hearings to see if the parties can work out the matter while the interim orders are in place. Then there's a directions hearing in which there has to be um, further and better particulars ordered from one party and a response put in by the other and a list of witnesses they're going to call, if any. And then finally it will get set for a hearing at a future date and, and it may take a day or two days to, to hear it. So it, 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 there's a lot involved, which is why it, it takes so long and there's a lot of processes along the way. Um, but, again, that's due to the pressure on the system and the demands of um, the court system with not just hearing those matters but hearing every other matter. Yep. Yeah. Everything seems to take a lot of time to do these days. <laughs> it, it does and it seems it takes longer. So it, it's just unfortunately um, the pressure on the system post-COVID. Yep. And and that, that filters down to all the things that we've talked about. And I was involved in a car accident um, and the amount of time it has taken – even for my car to be assessed, it staggers me, to be honest, that, that mm. uh, all these systems seem to be and, – and it's not because my car's in, you know, remote outback Australia. It's because the person who has to do that has 50 more to do before he gets to mine. Correct. That's right. The, the, the demands and the pressure are great. Yeah. Because for two years, nothing really got done. Yep. So now um, everything's, you know, hell for leather. Let's get it done. Yeah. But – the resources are struggling because it's um, the backlogs are great, and I think that's something that um, I think uh, everyone probably thinks would happen anyway. Yep. Given given how long we were locked down. Yeah, um, we, and we've had an enormous, um, uh, in terms of uh, workforce, for some reason we don't have one. We don't have an emerging no, workforce. No, it's we quite don't. bizarre. It's bizarre, and and um, the. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to go back to work. They like the idea of flexible hours and working from home. Yep. And I think that's the way the future is going to be. It's going to be changed. I don't see it as, um, you know, the standard Monday to Friday in the office. I think that's that's gone. Those days are gone. COVID showed us that we could still work but from home yep. and probably in a more economical way. And uh, I don't know about you, Kevin, but I was certainly working a lot longer and harder hours from home than I would have been in the office. Oh, there's no bloody turn-off button. <laughs> no, there's no turn-off button. So, can, can we legally have one of those put in somewhere? Because yeah, we, sh- we should. Uh, um, is the legal profession a profession where that will work well? Because it, it appears to um, me it would be. It, it works well um, and I think a mixture is really good. So if you have a mix where maybe one or two days a week and then in, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I I think employers have to become used to the new world of flexible um, work conditions. I think it's gone are the days where you'd work from nine to five or later in an office building. Yeah, and um, in terms we see of, that with all the vacancy rates. Oh yeah, um, yeah. in terms of uh, court cases where where you know people are giving uh, evidence and things like that, uh, is that so likely? The, to, that that is unlikely to ever be not. In I, I my understanding is that the courts want everyone back, and the judges want everyone back face to face. Yep, I um, understand that. And some smaller hearings or directions hearings and mentions are being done online still, um, 
to make sure, well, given the current COVID wave that's out there at the moment, yeah. that's probably why. Yep. But some courts like the Federal Circuit and Family Court will probably still um, use the online system to clear off the um, initial hearings and the directions hearings, et cetera. Yeah. Because it's more um, economical and quicker. So we can probably expect to see some some changes in in the way the legal system set up and the way things are done and expedited in, in certainly in the in the next twelve to eighteen months. I would imagine. Oh yes, it, things things will change, and they're always changing, and they always change in the legal profession. Tell me about legal practice in Australia. This guide that you've written. Um, um, how long did this sort of take you to put together? Um, so this was an idea during COVID that I had um, <laughs> because I was frustrated with um, encountering um, young practitioners who um, seemed to um, not understand the basics of what's required in practice and, you know, I was concerned that people weren't getting taught the right way, not in the colleges or the unis, but working for people. Yep. And so I thought what a what a idea would what a great idea would be to give them a guidebook to help them with um understanding that. And so that was born out of COVID and then um I wrote it and um yeah finally got published. <laughs> um now it's a it's a go it's not a textbook as such, is it? No, it's not a textbook, it's an actual guidebook. So the I didn't want a textbook yep. because it would be too thick and um, heavy for people to get their head around. What I wanted them to do is to have a guidebook they can quickly look up and refer to or take with them or always have it nearby and, and look up and get a quick answer. So so that's for practical things within particular yeah. so parts of example, the law? So, for example, um, how to deal with a difficult client. Yep. How to deal with a difficult lawyer on the other side. Um how to um, the basic setup of a file. So from day one, when you start practice, you know what you're doing. Yep. Um, taking file notes, um, how to interview a client. And I give an example in the book of how to do that with a scenario. Um, so they're the types of things I've covered to try and give um, people a, an opportunity to understand and what's involved. Now, I've obviously not studied law, but uh, the when you do your articles, which is your 12 months in a in a a firm of some description, is that is that's, that is- that's that's gone. So oh, no okay, like, yeah. So um, what they have to do now is a, a a practical legal training course. So when you finish your law degree, you have to complete a practical legal training course. And um, that's is that done. is that in a in a firm or not in a firm? Or? No, no, no. That's not in a firm. That's done in a another provider like a, a university or a college, and so. Is that to take the place of articles? Is that what that's designed for? Yes. And we have Leo Cousins Institute and and a new provider that's coming out. Um, And they specifically run those practical legal training courses for um, students to get that qualification. And they get a a, a graduate diploma in um, applied law in in legal practice. And then they need to work for someone for two years. And then once they've done that, they can go out on their own and open their own uh, practice or do whatever they like. So that to you is that like an apprenticeship as such? It 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 would be, but it is it it would be, but because they've done the training course, I'm finding that a lot of them are getting thrown into 
a lot of the work quicker because they've had that. Yeah. So you're walking in. You've done. You've done your your studies. You've done your you've done your studies, and then you get put into an area that you like or that you want to work in, and away you go. And all of a sudden, working. you're you're looking after a TAC claim from someone that that might have a multi million dollar payout involved with it, and you're Mister Mister Newbie on the block running that. Correct. Correct. Wow. And you're getting. You, but but you'll be supervised by a senior lawyer or a partner who yeah, manages okay. it. So yeah. So yeah. the guide fits into the people going into that into the it fits their first yeah two the guide years? fits into those people going into their first two years or law students who are finishing their law degree and um, practical legal training students. Yep. So the book the book assists with all that. It sounds to me like it's a lot of sensible comment about things that you would often take for granted when you, I mean, and I know in my profession there are things that I just take for granted because I've been doing it for so long, but when someone new comes in, they've got no idea about how you do that or what the etiquette is for this or how you how you kind of work in this situation. But because you've been in the industry a long time, you know that stuff. Correct, correct. And it's a lot of just practical, nonsense, um, sensible ways to practice. Yeah. Yeah. What's the feedback been on the uh, on the book um, so far, John? So, so far, very positive um, from all my peers. Very oh, excited and um, very positive. So it's been good, and um, yeah, it, it, it was. I really enjoyed writing it. Yep. It was really good. I had it, um, as I said to my wife, I had it in my head for a number of years yeah. to do it, and um, uh, fortunately enough, um, COVID pushed me to do it. Yep. Oh, that's terrific. And there's nothing quite like the feel. Of picking that book up and having it in you and looking at that cover and going, look at that! I wrote that. Yeah, I wrote that, and yep. um, it, it it's really good, um, especially because I like um, I like helping and teaching um, young younger students and the younger people coming into the profession. Yep. I actually am an adjunct lecturer at the College of Law, so I do a bit of that teaching as well. So uh, it gives me um, great satisfaction to help young people. It really does. Now, if people jump on, I know if you Google um, legal practice in Australia, the book will come up, the cover will come up, and then you'll yeah, be able to work out where you can get a copy of it from there. You can Correct, correct yeah. The publisher, LexisNexis in Australia, will yep. have all the details there. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on being oh, a published author. Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, amongst all those other, other letters after your name, now you can put author, which is terrific. Yeah, I haven't done that yet, but, um, you yeah, know, I'm really, really chuffed that that's happened. But thank you very much. Um, and thank you for your time, uh, obviously, uh, for this uh, presentation and uh, and for the ones in the past. And we, we look forward to 2023 exploring more areas of, uh, of the legal minefield uh, that we've called. Oh, we and, will. And, uh, and bringing people, hopefully, some solutions to some problems. And as we've said on this uh, podcast Every time, confidentiality is uh, is of the utmost importance. We will always, uh, always, uh, you know, adhere to that. Uh, but uh, any questions you have, by all means, uh, just jump on the website yeah. and uh, jump on the Facebook page, and uh, off you go. Yeah, send them through. But um, we should have a bigger, bigger, and um, a bigger and better year in um, twenty twenty three. Um, we'll cover more things, and um, you know, tell to help people um, understand more about the law. Beautiful. Thank you, John. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. Merry Christmas to you and your family as well, Kevin. Cheers, mate. Cheers. If you have a question, by all means send it to info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com. We'd be more than happy to hear from you. And any other comments you have, please share them on our Facebook page or send us an email. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. 